Hello, and welcome to part two of our ongoing Adventures in Drywall series with our very special guest from Montana, Kevin Bush. I'm your host, Nick Harmon. In part two of this adventurous episode, we talk about online haters on the Drywall Junkies page, of course. We discuss the advantages of the Panel Max. And we also talk about fasteners and butt board, but what about this time when you almost killed someone? So these guys all show up at five o'clock on a Sunday. He said, okay, let's, let's hit this thing. I wasn't thinking and I almost killed someone. So last time I did it, I took this, it was like a six foot long extendo hand, fiberglass handle <laughs> with the aluminum insert. And I took a Sammy Sosa swing at this corner and it shattered the fiberglass and this aluminum sensor acted like a missile and flew up the aisle about a hundred feet. Oh man. It would have been somebody in that aisle. It would have killed them. And it scared the <laughs> hell out of me. They looked at the demo booth and said, wow, no cracks and dents. Cool. And walked away. And my assholes puckered so tight. I can barely move. Cause I thought I almost killed somebody. I never did again. <laughs> you could go and you could feed on these with a ball bat and they wouldn't break they wouldn't crack and i'm like okay if i have to do patchwork on sundays and now i don't have to fix drywall you know cracks and corner bead it's worth the money to me yeah kevin is just as fantastic on part two as he was back on episode 35 also, I'm excited to announce our sponsor for the months of March and April, Can-Am Tools. Can-Am has been a supporter of the Drywall Podcast and Fresco Harmony for a long time, and I appreciate them for that. Also, Can-Am Tools is celebrating 50 years of excellence as the original and leading inventor of the semi-automatic drywall finishing tool. For the months of March and April, you have a chance to get your hands on these tools at a discounted price. If you go to canamtools.com and enter promo code TDP15, the Drywall Podcast was also brought to you by Fresco Harmony, making walls better since 2004. Now available at csrbuilding.com. I'm excited to get to listening to this episode of the Drywall Podcast, and I hope you are too. Kevin Bush out of, well, close to Bozeman, Montana, on the 45th episode of the Drywall Podcast. Let's get into it. Hey, buddy. How you doing? <laughs> we have Kevin Bush once again on the Drywall Podcast. Shall we turn? Shall we tell everybody why it's once again, or do you want to feel like a stupid idiot or not? Well, there's two reasons for once again. There's one is <laughs> that we've had a podcast that was successful and very entertaining. There's another again because we had a podcast that maybe did not get recorded because of. So is my... that going to be someday when when we're old? Somebody's going to find this, like the old unreleased studio recordings from the Beatles that they find in an attic somewhere. Oh, man. Kevin has a, an article 
or used to write an article. And we talk about that in the last podcast and it was called adventures in drywall and it was for walls and ceilings magazine. And those articles are still available to read. If you go into the archives of walls and ceilings magazine online, Kevin was also a guest on the show. And we talk about that a little bit and how you came to create these uh, articles that are super cool and very fun. And they were very popular with Walls and Ceilings magazine. And uh, that podcast is fantastic that we did. And so as a spinoff, I was thinking, oh, how cool would it be to have an Adventures in Drywall uh segment on the drywall podcast where we touch base with kevin once every few months or so maybe four times five times a year and we talk about these adventures in drywall that you've had we were we were discussing one thing we were discussing was the drywall junkies page you were pissed off because you tried to write something and you were getting bashed on the drywall junkies page. That much I do know that we were discussing that got now, deleted. Wasn't, I wasn't as much pissed off as just annoyed. I think I touched on when I had my crash in 2015 and I wasn't able to work anymore. I, I don't remember when junkies came out, but I, I found it, you know, shortly after that on Facebook. And I started watching it and looking at some of the stuff yeah and it was entertaining and and sometimes it wasn't you know it seemed like a lot of keyboard warriors drinking white claws in their mom's basement blasting people about mm -hmm. stupid stuff so drywall shorty i guess was at a show and she saw the panel max machine at the grabber booth and she thought it was cool she just posted a little thing and i for some reason or other i felt the need to just respond and say hey i worked for the company when we brought that technology over from europe and yes yeah, not right on every job but on certain jobs it can really save you some time and money and i gave an instance of a big church that got done down in atlanta and the contractor actually had one of these tables set up on the job site with a guy making profiles all day long and he, he didn't want anybody to know what he was doing because he wanted it to be a secret Explain really quick to our listening audience what the panel max is exactly and why that's different than doing uh, hanging drywall the normal way. Well, if you've got a job like this church had a bunch of big, huge tray ceilings and they had like instead of wood beams going every eight feet or whatever, they had drywall coming down. And if you were going to do that traditionally, you'd have to hang this side, the bottom and the top, beat it, tape it all and coat it. And this, this contract was making these pieces in 12-foot lengths that came down, over, and back up, and then over. And they'd screw it in, and it's basically done. And then right. you just tape the little seams every 12 feet. And, and it looks beautiful. And it saved him a lot of time. And he said, I don't know if I could have done it this good without this machine. You could do radius walls. I mean, sure. when we, we actually had one of the tables set up in the back warehouse of the office I worked out of in Jersey for a while. And I went and played with it. I wanted to see how intricate you could get. Yeah. And we were making these little two inch by two inch dice out of drywall. And you cut it all out and you put glue in there and you fold it all back together. And it was a perfectly shaped dice. And I paid last time white, I asked you if you it. had any dice last yeah. time. And, and it was cool because guys would come in my office and say, whoa, what's that? I said, that's drywall. 
I'm like, get out. And he touched you, feel it. How'd you do that? I said, I'll show you. So it's kind of cool. I mean, you could, you could, you were only limited by your imagination what you could do with this table. And so guys responded, oh, I'm sure it saved a lot of time. Oh, uh, you know, and I'm like, if you're going to be that head in the sand buried, why, you know, it's that whole mentality. My dad did this. That's what I do. And yeah. I was always kind of an early adopter. If something came out, I wanted to give it a try. It might, it might be hammer dog shit, or it might be a really good thing. But if you don't try it, you'll never know. There's a lot of guys that aren't even willing to try anything. You got to realize back in the day when rockers could walk into the job with a five-gallon bucket and a T-square, and they could rock, okay? Back when it was nails. Then the builders wanted screws. I had rockers say, I'm going to quit. I'll never drywall again. Now I got to get a generator and cords and screw guns. And I'd be like, really? You're going to quit your job over you have to use screws instead of nails. I never got that mindset. Okay, maybe it's a little more work and you have to spend a little more money. But is it that big of a deal? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I thought it was a cool machine. And I haven't been involved with Grabber for a long time, but I saw it. Drywall Shorty went and looked at it. She thought it was cool. And I guess I won't respond to anything anymore because I am an old dinosaur whose opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> so I'll just watch from afar like I have been for years and let all these guys that are much smarter and tougher and good looking or whatever, yeah. let them at it, you know? But luckily, I've I've recognized the value in your dinosaurness, and I'm exploiting it here on the Drywall Podcast. So whether those guys like it or not, they're going to have to listen to you. I mean, that's you know, if well, they, they want to listen, watch this. They don't have to watch it. They have to watch. They say, oh, that's that old guy. We don't want to hear what he has to say. That's that old dinosaur is talking about that weird thing with the thing when they cut the back yeah. of the drywall. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a love hate and kudos to Kayla as well for, we talk a little bit about her experience early on with the, with the junkies. She like pushed through that adversity early on, you know, imagine being like, you know, a woman in the trades trying to make your way. And you got all these guys like just, just bashing you, you know, um, I watched that in real time when Kayla started posting her videos and I thought she was cool. Chris and I would talk at night and he says, man, I'd love to go finish a house with her. I said, me too. You know, she was cool and she was a good mechanic. She did good work. Yeah. And basically I never took offense at her coming back at guys because she was just giving what they were taking. You know, she was giving it back to these guys saying, Oh, you're not really a finisher. You're on your husband's job or your boy. Whatever. And I liked that she went back at him because she's like, no, here, watch, I'll do it. And so yeah. I watched that in real time and I, I enjoyed it. Yep. I'm, I'm proud of, I'm proud of the women for, for pushing through that in this Absolutely. trade, especially, you Absolutely. know, um, and then we had, we dove into, we could talk about the panel max a little bit more. I was like, I've seen it at shows. I, you know, and again, it's a specialty situation where if you got a bunch of soffits, you've got a bunch of like linear footage where you need to rip, square corners i think it's the cat's meow you know in certain situations that, my friend i have a really good friend in canada named roger mcqueen he was the toronto grabber man when i worked for grabber and okay. i go up there two three four times a year and spend a week with him and we got to be great friends we still talk probably three four times a month on the phone his son 
bought one of these and these machines and set it up in a warehouse and he made profiles for guys all over toronto um the drywall yard was delivering board right to his shop and he was making the profiles they were putting it back on the truck and they were delivering to the jobs remind me later he sent me a bunch of pictures of profiles his son made you it'll blow your mind to different things he he did that when these guys got done hanging them it was i mean going from this to this to this all the whole gamut of what you can like i said you're only limited by your imagination i've seen some cool stuff with those panel maxes man some of those really ultra tight radiuses in inside you know inside radiuses and stuff without you know wasting the time of like wetting the back of the board right bre breaking it and all that stuff so there's definitely use for it. It's obviously gaining in momentum a little bit. I think there's a couple different companies now that have those types of systems, right? I don't know. All I know is when it came over originally from Germany, the, the people came over and we had a big meeting down in DC at our branch down there. And they brought a machine in, set it up in a conference room, and they were going to demonstrate it. And I'm looking at this router table and I'm going, they're going to run that in this office. And I'm experience, I'm expecting to see dust just go everywhere. Right. So I was sitting back yeah. kind of sparking going, this is going to be good. And when they turned it on and it was zero dust and we ran it all day, I think it was called Magicon back then when it was coming over from Germany. And they all spoke German. I think we had to have a translator. One guy kind of spoke broken English. And they had such an efficient, you know how German, they talk about German engineering. They had a, a German vacuum hooked up to this thing that had an automatic cleaning thing that would clean the filter. And you'd hear this thump every once in a while. And I said, what's that thump? And they said, oh, that's the filter cleaner. So when the filter would get too clogged up, something would bang the filter, knock all the dust. Needless to say, I was disappointed. There was not one bit of dust in that office at the end of the day. Crazy. And I was impressed by that, but yeah. I was also impressed with the things they could do with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, it just goes to show like there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat and especially in drywall and, and what's unique, I think about drywall is there's a lot of ways to do it, but everybody's way is the best, you know? So my opinion always was what's it look like painted? If it looks really good painted and it doesn't bubble, you don't have any bubbling tape, or it's fine. Whether a guy used a hawk and trowel or a panda knife or a banjo or a bazooka, if it looks good painted and the guy made a living doing it, more power to him. Now, would there be a way to do it faster so you can make more money? Usually. But if he was happy pulling tape, the guy that taught me, he pulled tape out of a banjo his whole life. He made a living. He would probably he. He was so hard-headed. His brother was a roofer. And when the roofing nailers came out, the pneumatic roofing nailers, his brother said, I'll never have one of those. I can beat a guy with a roofing nailer. And he did it once. They had side-by-side -side roofs, and this guy hand-nailed faster than the guy did with it. But he wouldn't do it every day. He did it to make a point. And I said to him, do you want to do that every day, or would you rather just go bam, bam, bam? And he never – so some guys are hard-headed and like, this is the way I do it. But usually there's a better way. My brother-in-law was a framer for years. And when automatic nailing guns came out, 
guys in Nebraska were telling people, those guys who use automatic nailers, their framing's no good. That nail's not going to hold as good as a, a nail you hammer in by hand. Guys were actually making that argument that a hand-driven nail help, holds better than a pneumatically driven nail. <laughs> That's a real well, thing back in the day. The guys in like Australia, I think in Europe, I've heard will make fun of uh, the guys even still using the screw guns, you know, putting the screws in manual when the, the, like the feed systems, like they're, they're just using those in Europe. Right. And that, like, they think that we're crazy for still using, you know, putting each screw in, right. you know, individually, not to mention the, probably the holdouts, you know, from nailing drywall on to screwing drywall on, you know, so many years later, there's still people nailing drywall on for sure. Well, here's the big thing I never got. So I was on East Coast when glue came out. So when I started, we didn't even have drywall nails. We had these blue nails with ring shanks on them, and the heads were barely bigger than the ring shank. It was virtually impossible to drive one of these things without breaking the face paper. And we did three sets of two in every stud. And, there, you know, it was horrible. <laughs> But that's all there was. So they moved to the East Coast, and they had the thin shank cement coats with the big heads. So much better than those old blue ring shanks. Okay? And then it went to screws. But when the glue came out and they advertised you could use 60% fewer fasteners. Okay. I saw that glue in action. We did a house in Ben Salem, and it was hung on a Friday. We taped it Friday afternoon. Some kids decided to have a party in the house over the weekend and caught it on fire. So the drywall had only been up for one day. When the firemen came in with those hooks to pull the ceilings down to make sure there was no fire up in the ceilings, you could see a strip of drywall and face paper still on every framing member. Where it was oh, wow. Glued. It never came down. Wow. It was spilled on glue after that. Now, this was the old miracle glue that had, you know, tons of solvents and VOCs. I saw a rocker standing by a wall after he glued it up, light a cigarette, and the glue caught on fire. That's how volatile. Okay. The glue now, unless you're using a poly glue, I'm a big fan of poly glue now. All this green drywall glue that's water-based. Yeah. If you use that stuff where it's humid, it'll stay wet for weeks. You can pull the sheet off two weeks later and the glue's still wet. I'm not a fan of the green glues. If you're going to glue, which I still think glue's good, use the poly glue. It's almost like a gorilla-type glue. Okay. where it's a polyester that's what i but a lot nobody in montana glues it goes into the butt board so then you have the whole now you have glue but then they were like they took it one step farther let's just put butts wherever we want with this fancy right. you know butt board which gets a lot of pushback as well but in canada they're using the glue they're using the butt board you see two fasteners you see two fasteners in the field um, a lot of those guys are using them, but then a lot of a lot of dudes will not use the butt board. I was a big fan. The guy that invented the first butt backer, I think it was Derek Trout's dad from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, because I was buying them from Trav Dan Supply in Sellersville, my drywall yard. Yeah. The first ones yeah. looked like one of those Polynesian canoes they fish with, with the two outriggers on the side so they don't tip over. They came packaged about this wide. The center board was maybe two or three inches wide, and the outside boards were a little narrower. And they had a metal bracket three places on the back. 
And when you go like this, it opened up. And so when you look at it this way, the center board was slightly higher than the two outriggers. So when you'd screw the butt, it would suck it up slightly. And the first time I used them, they were $12 a piece. But I did this house that had a great big, huge open kitchen, dining room, living room. And there must have been 30 or 40 butts on the ceiling. And there were windows on both sides of the room. And I didn't want any butt joints to flash. So I used them in that house. And it was gorgeous. So I started using the butt boards because if you were using them on an open stairwell that had, you know, windows in the front that was going to wash white light down that wall all the time, you can make that butt joint 10 feet wide. It's still going to throw a shadow just the right time of the day. So I would use them in certain spots where I knew okay. it would show. I wouldn't use them everywhere, but for sure I'd use them in highlight areas because they would hide those butts beautifully. Interesting. And now Myron was talking about the butt board. Like he was working on like a butt board as well. I, am I right? We talk about the butt board a little I bit. Think I, I'm not sure what Myron was doing with that. You know, a lot of guys <laughs> were doing, they were just having somebody cut off a bunch of um, plywood scrap 16 yeah. inches wide yeah. and breaking their butts between the studs. Because if you've got a stud that's bowing out and you break the butt on there, there's nothing you're going to do to hide it. If you break it between the stud base and even back it with, with like plywood, it's going to be a better butt. I'm always a fan of breaking the butts between the framing members because those go in and out. And the wood's not nearly as good as it used to be. Yeah. Try to find a, a stud without a crown in it, I dare you. That's interesting. Um, I remember seeing the butt board at Trimtex. Of course, they sell butt boards. And I did I did a short video about it. Uh, I did a training at Trimtex maybe four or five years ago, and I did a small video of these dudes showing the butt board and the the advantages of the butt board. You know, one of them being sucking that butt in so that it creates sort of a mini recess there, and you don't have to break your butts out as far. Um, that's on that's on YouTube. But I was impressed by it. I was like, okay, you know, I'm not much of a hanger, but it seemed like a pretty efficient method. And then I see some of the good guys up in Canada, they're using it. And I feel like I'm inclined to like see what these good drywallers are doing and be like, oh, look, that guy's, you know, that guy's doing it. Maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> it all depends on the work you do too. Excuse me. So I, when I, started my my Kevin Bush drywall in Pennsylvania, I chose to do big custom homes because I get bored doing tract work. If you're doing the same unit over and over again, it gets boring, right? So most of the houses I did had two, three, four cathedrals, open stuff, because I like doing detail work. I really like taking funky stuff and making it look good. So if you're doing a house like that, you're getting good money. I wanted to do that house as good as I possibly could. If you're doing a bunch of 120 sheet townhouses and you're just rape and run, you're probably not going to use butt boards and all this extra stuff because it's just production work, you know? But when you're yeah. doing a higher end home, <clears throat> it, it, even if it costs you a couple hundred bucks extra to do a better job, the builder's going to recognize that and go, man, this guy really does all this stuff to make my job look better. And most of my builders were very happy with my job. So I try and do the best job I could every, every time. Well, I've heard of builders though, too, that are like, what the hell are you doing with that stuff? Get it off my job. That's not really? how I want. That's I've heard stories of that where the builders, the builders like, 
don't be pulling that shit on my job. Like they're trying to cut corners or something by using butt board, you know, you need to do it properly, but they're just, they're, they're ignorant to different method methods of uh, hanging, you know? Well, you know, that's partly on the drywall contractor too. When I switched from metal corner bead to no coat, I went to all my builders and told them what I was going to do and why. And I had okay. a demo ball set up and I had a piece of no coat on there and I'd set it out in the garage and I'd take a scrap of drywall and say, watch this. And I'd shatter okay. the piece of drywall over the corner. And when they saw it wasn't dented or cracked, they're like, okay, I get it. I said, you know what it would have looked like if there was metal on there. So I'd show them why. Right. This cost me three times or four times more than metal corner bead. And here's why I'm using it. Because it's not going to crack after they move in. If it settles or somebody runs in, it won't crack. And I would do that and I'd explain why. So they didn't think I was trying to get one over. And I'd say, oh, by the way, this is costing me more money, but it's going to do a better job for you. If you can explain it to them, all my builders were very open-minded. They did they, they yeah. appreciate it. That's a good point. Uh, I, I don't think as drywallers, we do enough education and it goes into the specialty trim text corner bead as well. Like, you know, exactly. like they don't use that stuff. And I'm like, why on earth do they not give builders 12 options for corners? Like that should be standard operating procedure. And it's because the drywallers don't want to deal with it. Maybe they feel like it's not, you know, it's going to slow down production. They don't know how to charge for it. There's a lot of variables, but at the same time, the builders don't even know about these specialty corner beads. They don't know that it's even an option. Well, it's sort of like Chris and Heath with the fresco now. Yeah. You know, my niece Heidi said she always would put accent walls in her home. She built big, fancy, expensive houses out here. Right. And she said we couldn't find anybody to do it anymore. Nobody wanted to be bothered. So when she found out Chris and Heath are going to be doing this, she's like, I guess I'm going to start doing accent walls in my homes again. Right. So Why not? It has to do with having guys do it. Why not? If you're building a house, make it a little special, a couple accent walls, details here and there that differentiates you from everyone else. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, but it, it is on the, I spend a lot of time talking about sales. It's, I mean, the applications, the application, you're going to have clients doing whatever I spent. Most of Chris and I's conversation was spent on what I call damage control, dealing with the client, choosing color, uh, uh, making sure that they're aware of expectations. Here's what it's going to look like. This isn't shiny plaster. Here's a sample. I mean, a lot, you know, Chris was very resistant to the sample concept. And I was like, no, no, the samples are more than just showing them what it looks like. It's a guide that keeps everybody on the same page. You're not just finishing a flat wall. Now all of a sudden you're doing something artistic. It's right. open for interpretation. You're going to leave yourself open for client, you know, I would have Chris put in his claws after that experience. I might even put it in my claws. If you touch the wall at any point during the process, your contract is null and void. You owe me the full amount and we're done. You, and All you right. can charge, you know, we'll charge you hourly to fix it beyond that. But don't touch right. the wall. This is you're paying us to do this, you know, after we're done and the bill's been paid then you can touch the wall all you want and we can and leave those you some walls look beautiful when he got yeah. done and i'm looking yeah. at the pictures going man because when he told me the two colors they were doing i couldn't picture in my head i'm like how's that gonna work a I green over a red i'm like what but it looked gorgeous yeah I put it on my facebook and a bunch of my friends came back and I'm like wow that's really gorgeous i'm like yeah 
And then he went the next day and she said, she's on the wall messing with it. I'm like, <laughs> well, she's an artist. You know what I mean? So she probably had something in her head and she's going to do, I'm going to do more of this here. And yeah, yeah. He came home and goes, I don't know what she was doing that. She's messing with my walls. He said there was like a scratch or something. I was like, oh, that could have been fixed, you know, very minimally without making a big patch. You want to like keep patches very minimal. But um, I, my interpretation was like, well, why not just do, he was doing Minkus Pine, which is a beautiful green. Just do the green, save the mountain clay for Kevin's office or whatever, you know, where you're really going to do two layers of mountain clay and you have this right. beautiful... And I was like, that that green's gonna overpower the the orange underneath. Well, and... when it was done, it looked cool because you could see the little orange lines yeah. coming through. And Great. I kind of saw it. It did look nice. And he yeah. was there and he said, it was gorgeous and they loved it. Yeah. So when we left that second day, they were like, This is great. Yeah. He shows up the third day to put some clear over it and he goes, She's <laughs> over there on the wall. He's like, What am I supposed to? so i talked to him a little bit i was like well because he ordered some of the warm silver i was like well if you put some warm silver do just a coat of warm silver it'll shade that whole wall and it might obscure that spot that she was messing with um you know worst case scenario though you you skim over it but if he was to skim over it with the green you would lose a lot of those orange uh, uh, high points. So, uh, you know, but his feedback was the orange points really made the deal. I mean, they looked beautiful, which you can never glean from, uh, photos with the fresco. They never do it justice. It's almost something where I'm glad he's doing that and you're getting to experience it because you have to just like the butt board, you have to see it. You have to feel it. You have to do a wall. You have to fix a wall. You know, there's a lot of variables and there's like a process to getting going with it. And, uh, you know, this is how change occurs in a, in a, you know, resistant stagnant sort of industry. It's it's a cool conversation though. Um, and I'm always, I, I always go to it because fresco harmony as although you wouldn't think it just like the guy saying he didn't, you know, he didn't want to show people this new tool because he was afraid all the drywallers are going to steal all his work. It's like, nobody cares. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to steal this work. Chris and Heath are smart because they're going to have like a little monopoly on specialty walls up there until, until drywall shorty gets hip to the wise and starts doing it in her houses, you know, and then they'll have some competition. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, oh, and, uh, Last time I gave a shout out to Aubrey too, and also Heidi with Ebbinghausen Homes, which is Ebbing, no end, Ebbinghausen, Ebbinghausen. Yep, um, which is cool German name, um, and that's out of uh, Montana, and they build uh, custom, Montana. Yep, they build custom homes up there. Yes, Kevin Costner at the Dillon, yep. the the Dalton Dillon Ranch, Dalton <laughs> Dalton Ranch. <laughs> you got the hat you send me pictures watching don't even name know the name of the show nick it's been a while it's been a while. I, I drifted on like season four i was like Ugh, how much more drama can i can take you guys need to just chill out give the damn land away be happy move into the house just get on so with I your life the exact, the exact opposite surround <laughs> the thing with armed cowboys and shoot at anybody that walks across their fence line <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then uh, we dove into, you have an article called Rock On, Rock Off. And this is kind of a neat sort of a, a warm, fuzzy feeling type 
story that involves, um, well, I'll let you sort of tell. There's an article in Walls and Ceilings, March 27th, 2007. If you'd like to look it up, you can read an article by uh, Kevin called Rock On, Rock Off. And it's about, uh, and I'll let you take it from here. It was funny because after our first podcast, I'm, I'm scrolling through Facebook and Walls and Ceilings had reposted this article out of the blue from a million years ago. And I called up the the editor, John, and I'm like, Johnny, you just posted an old article I wrote? And he goes, yeah, he says, uh, we're going through your stuff and that's pretty cool. We thought we'd throw it back out there. And I reread it and I kind of forgot about it. Um, the owner of a company called Fast Track Construction in Philadelphia and I don't know if he had a sick kid. Probably he must have. He started a charity called Michael's Way. And they support not only sick children, but their parents. I, I think I told you my older son, when he was like three, almost died of spinal meningitis. Yeah. And he was in Children's Hospital in Philadelphia for months. And it took him years to recover. He wasn't supposed to live. He was supposed to be mentally challenge that he beat all the odds basically but after that happened you ever have something happen in your life that changes the way you view something so up until that point if i'd see a sick kid or somebody that was handicapped or whatever it makes you uncomfortable and, and you sort of look away i told my wife if he is in a wheelchair for the rest of his life i will push him through the mall as a proud father i don't care yeah so yeah. after that happened and he got better Whenever I would see a child, especially children, it tears me up. I'd go over and say hi to them or smile or or tell their parents, how's it going? It changed me for the better, I think. So when I heard about this Michael's Way and Trev Dan, my drywall yard supported it. I think they have Dick Vermeil from the, the Eagles, ex-head coach on the board of directors. And they okay. would have beef and beers and golf outings to raise money. And they've given away. I think millions of dollars at this point. Okay. The owner had on a, a big job in Concha hockey and it was a, a commercial job with a bunch of steel stud framed offices. And they had a challenge, whoever could hang the most boards in four hours. And it was for charity. So grabber sponsored it. The wall, there was a bunch of people that sponsored it with giveaways and money. Cool. And I think the guy that won it hung something like 80 sheets in four hours by himself. So I wrote an article about it because it was kind of near and dear to my heart. Wait, just let me let me interject. Let me interject really quick. You need to go on the drywall junkies and tell this tell a little bit of the story, but say there was a competition and somebody hung 80 sheets in four hours. And just sit back. Just sit back and watch the comments start I'll rolling. You do it. I'll let you do it. You can sit there all night and get 80 sheets. Hell, I'd drop 80 sheets in four hours. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but go it was ahead. Charity and it was all good fun. And, you know, yeah. it was kind of cool. It's like, we'll sort of almost forget that for 12 years I wrote an article every month, which was a lot of work sometimes. You know, yeah. sometimes it'd be. In 40 minutes, I got bang out 1,500 words. And sometimes I've spent months figuring out what I was going to write about. But it was kind of different and cool, and I enjoyed it. But it seems like maybe it's getting a little traction again because of you, maybe. I don't know. Cool, cool. I, I'm I, I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't I haven't done the shout out yet, but it's michaelsway.com, and you can go and donate to this this charity. 
right. and and it it pretty much benefits like the chil- children with children and their parents. You got to realize the expense. So the entire right. time my son was in the hospital, my wife only came home once in like six months. She was in Philadelphia the entire time, sitting by his bed. Yep. So I would run my business and drive the hour to Philadelphia every night, spend some time with her, and drive home. It was tough. I got gray in one month after that happened. Yeah. The 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 gas and the parking and eating in the the cafeteria at the hospital and yeah. and having to take clean clothes down and back. I mean, the emotional drain of having a sick kid is enough. But all this extra stuff. Now, my dad was a huge help. He came down almost every day, you know, and he helped. But the mental and physical and emotional toll is huge. But then you have the financial toll. So if they can help not only the child, but the parents that are dealing with it. And I think a lot of the goes towards helping the parents even be able to keep living while they have their child maybe dying. Yeah. So it's huge. It's a very important thing to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Um uh yeah so I, I i told a small story about it it reminded me of on a job that we were doing with uh with a kid with uh spinal meningitis or uh not spinal, uh muscular dystrophy so he deteriorated i was span the job spanned like 15 years i watched this kid go from like a walker to a, a wheelchair with a with a trach and an eating tube and all of that stuff um and then he ended up dying and they made his room into a chapel that that family uh was lucky enough to have money you know but that doesn't it still doesn't matter when you have a child in that type of situation it's very powerful and it shifted the way i look at sort of uh sick kids as well but one thing i talked about was the the height chart on the wall like if you're ever in a situation in a in a house where you're retexturing or you're remodeling and they have a height chart on the wall, a cool thing that you can do is to cut out and remove that heart height chart. And I've done this in a couple of different situations, I think three times now over the last 15 years or whatever, where remove the height chart, you can have it framed and then hang the height chart back up uh, on the wall, you know, where it goes. It's just a cool thing you can do for, for families. It's very cool. It's it's uh, yeah, we and had they all... one of those in our house, but it was on this where you'd walk in a back door. There was a door into the basement, and so it was in that little tiny return from the door to the corner yep. where we did it. And yeah. when we repainted, it went away, and I was so devastated because I yeah. would have loved to see that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and even painting, but like, uh, yeah, she and uh, I was in the bathroom, so they remodeled this this kid Niels, and there's a video on uh, there's a video on the Fresco Harmony YouTube page of me talking with Claudia Apodaca of Apodaca gold, the color, um, and Jordan sky is the other brother from, from this particular family. Um, I talked to her about Neil and his legacy and this chapel that they made the room into. It's gorgeous. Like just to the nines and, uh, walked into the bathroom and she still has that height chart, you know, that's very cool with Neil's height on it, you know? So, um, yeah, just a very simple, cool thing. If you're ever on a project and you come across a kid's height chart, man, you want to try to preserve that. Um, I have down here, Lee Goldman. Oh, the wet and oh, we stick. Were talking about I talked, stick. I talked, <laughs> I talked with, uh, 
Wolfgang yesterday. So uh, um, his show's going to drop. Can you remember this bit. whole situation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So he said he spent some money. Did he swear when he heard my name? Nah, not at all. He's such a cool guy. We talk cool about guy. we talk about you know the beginnings of uh, Can Am. I didn't realize he was such like a machinist, like such a. Yeah. He's he's like a he's like a super machine like guy, you know. Oh yeah. And just the coolest dude. Um, no, we talk about a lot of stuff, but that's you know part of business is going down avenues, and you know challenges of business where you have successes and failures that you know you're you're going to spend yeah. money and and it doesn't pan out type of thing, you know. So he wasn't, uh, you know, he kind of laughed it off. <laughs> well, we had a fun we had a fun dinner that night. I think the bill was something like five grand. So oh, we wow. had a heck of a good dinner that night. I mean, we were eating, you know, steak and lobster. And I think Lee bought the magnum of champagne that was like taller than Beautiful. our heads. So, yeah, it was yeah. a fun night. Yeah, you guys were planning on cashing in on all this yeah. money you were going to make from the wet and stick. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was such a shame. So let's just say let's just say that idea that idea didn't stick. We'll say that. Yeah, well, it would have stuck if it <laughs> had it not been for one bad batch of glue, but. You know what could have been, what should have been, never sometimes happens. But yeah, it was. It was one of those products when I saw it. First time I saw it was at Providence, Rhode Island, at a show, and it was a water-activated joint tape. And the special part of it, the glue only activated one time. So you get it wet, it activate the glue. You'd stick it on the wall. If it got wet again, it would not reactivate that glue. It would stick there forever. If you go peel it off when it dry it would peel the face paper off the drywall. That's how good the glue was. Okay. Okay. So we actually got a couple great big commercial contractors using it down in DC. And they liked it because they took their best guys that used to have to run the tube and tape and they could drop them back to finishing because they could take new guys with water and this tape and they could tape floors ahead of these guys because basically you get it wet, you'd stick it on the wall and rub your hand over it was an inside corner you'd run a roller over it it's taped okay really like they would just wipe it in they just wipe it in with their hand just like regular just masking. pull it out and just wipe it down kind of like, like so the concept would kind of like you're putting masking tape on the wall but it's yep. it's strong and it's yep. gonna hold and they used it on a couple of huge jobs to with great success and then a bad batch of glue came through that somehow or another reactivated when it got wet so they started coating this one job after they'd used it successfully on more than one job. Yeah. And it started yeah. all bubbling and falling off the walls. If it would have happened five or 10 years in, you know, okay, there's a billion Teslas out there and there's 25 of them a month catching on fire. Okay. People are going to accept <laughs> it. But what happened the first month, there would be no Teslas. You follow what I'm saying? It's all kind of, kind of, but I mean, even when you're vetting a product and you're coming out, like you can't just like, okay, there was one fail. Was it like billions of dollars or was it like, you know, 20 grand, you know, to, have to consider though, when, when a company like grabbers looking at a new product and they're going to be liable for it because they're selling it. Yeah. And there's a yeah. problem that gets everybody's attention. And then they start making that cost benefit analysis yeah. Okay, we'll make this much, but if this happens, and I think it was on the heels of a bunch of bad glue came out that was burning through the drywall. Okay. And that was that was some money. There was a bad batch of glue that came out that would actually burn through the paint, and you could see every place it was glued. 
So they'd already got hit by some glue stuff. And then this thing came out. And so they basically said, ah, we're going to take a pass. And Lee tried to keep it going without a big corporation backing him. Right. But it's tough to do as like you found out when you're by yourself, it's a tough slog, you know, you need <laughs> yeah. almost to have some backing <laughs> and a sales force and delivery trucks yeah. and some money behind you. So it, it kind of killed the product, but it was a shame because I, Keith did a house. He built a house in Nebraska that was huge. And the owner of Grabber's grandson was a videographer. He, I guess he took it in college or whatever. He okay. came out for a week with all these professional TV cameras and all and set them all up in tripods. Yeah. And Heath gave them yeah. his guys for a week and he filmed them doing flats and corners and they showed it finished. And they were going to introduce this live video on the Grabber website of this new product. Yeah. And yeah. while he's editing it, editing this video, this happens in DC. And so I don't even think that video even exists anymore. But Heath did this whole probably 400 board house with wet and stick. And the house is still sitting there. None of the tape fell off the walls. No. And it looks great. So it was a shame. I feel bad. It could have been the next greatest thing if it yeah. wasn't for Wolfgang. Yeah, the there's a lot of variables. And and Wolfgang said he still has a bunch of that tape. It works. It works. Everybody, everybody, all the guests of the Drywall Podcast are going to get a free roll of wet and stick to go try out on your next project. But don't yeah, get it wet. One, they'll never find another one. You know, <laughs> don't get it wet before it's ready because it'll right. render it useless. So, yep. so, uh, but that particular batch, it had to do with the glue. I, I was thinking, oh, like these rolls of tape got wet and then they just turned into a big lump roll of like no, that's the other thing so the tape was so it would it could be affected by humidity even so when they put them uh, in the big cases all of the rolls had cellophane around them you'd have to pop it to open them because yeah. a high humidity could actually if he didn't and you had it riding around in your truck and it was real humid the first five or six feet would be stuck to each other from the humidity <laughs> you didn't want to break the seal till it was ready to use those seem like just like immediate like problems that a product would have. It just seems like a shame that they didn't vet that idea. See, it sounds really good. And also it seems like a technology that those three-way guys that are making the three ways could take and run with it. Like, you know, now you're not, ha you're not dealing with a whole roll of tape. You're just dealing with a three-way. So imagine if you made the three-way, I'm just brainstorming. Imagine if you, and this is for Royce and Steve of the three-way, if, if you made a three-way and you had this technology, you could just get the three-way wet, put it in the corner and wipe it in. Your three-way is done. The technology is still out there. Have you yeah. ever heard of hydro trim? Hydro trim is the no-coat version of wet and stick. Hydro trim has this same glue on the back. It's water activated. Now, I don't know if there's still hydro trim, but when I worked at Grabber, there was a lot. Here's the thing. I always thought wet and sticks target market was remodeling contractors, guys that didn't do drywall every day. It's <laughs> that the name. taping part, the hardest part. <laughs> so if a remodeling contractor is doing a bedroom or a bathroom and he could tape it using water and then he can use his whatever knives to finish it. But I always thought it was a great market for the DIY or the remodeling contractors, right? Hydro trim, a lot of guys used it. And they'd get it wet and they'd stick it on the corner and roll it. It's installed. Well, what Steven 
uh, Royce talk about is now all of a sudden you have a three-way that not only gets the apprentice going with the mud a little bit, but that's something they can do. They don't have to have the skill to pick out a corner, you know, and that's something, you know, the, the apprentice can go through and do all the corners in the house, but with the hydro trim, like, uh, you know, an apprentice could go through and put that stuff on and learn about mud and you're still getting the the proficiency out of right. a laborer or or an apprentice, but it goes uh, back to that whole argument: guys do not like change. No, they just don't. No, and they'll run into it with the three way, but it's you know just like I run into it, and you know these other these other aspiring uh, tool manufacturers, we run into this these these challenges in this industry, and it's almost like it's almost a thankless endeavor, but you know, you have to, it has to be a labor of love, you know, when you're going to go do something like this, you know, it's but weird. This is the conversation plasters had about drywallers when drywall came out. Okay. Plasters back in the day when they were the shit. All right. And, and my mother's brother, my, my mother's mom's brother was a plasterer. Okay. And I remember when I first went to East Coast, and he's probably in his 80s, and I'd never met him. I wanted to bond with him, and I'm like, oh, you were a plaster. I do drywall. And he looked at me, he goes, you're a pussy. Real men do drywall. I mean, real men do plaster. Yeah. So the same conversation we're having now about new technology, plasters were saying these drywall guys are a bunch of schlocks, yeah. right? Think about it. Back in the day, your walls were either stone or they were plaster or logs. And all of a sudden, this paper-covered dust came out that guys would hang <laughs> and tape and texture. And the plasters had to look at it and go, this will never this will never take off. That's shit, right? So it's right. just a, a different generation's idea of what shit is. That leads me into the story that Myron was telling on his podcast about the time that uh, he went on to a job and... On, on the East Coast, and they always do plaster, and uh, the builder wanted him to do, or for some reason, they were going to do drywall, and that he said the builder spit on the floor. Like I he, was there. I was there. You watched the, you watched the builder yeah, spit on I the floor. <laughs> and, and, and I was going, what in the world? <laughs> so I put <I laughs> my trailer up there for free and spent four days with Myron and donated all the, it was called a tri Acrylitech smooth wall. And I had all this spray equipment and, and I showed up and I sprayed this house for Myron and this product, you could spray 30 wet mills, which was thick. So I sprayed the shit out of this house and Myron came back behind me with a piece of worn out sandpaper and he just brushed the walls and the walls felt like glass. And when they painted it, it looked like plaster. What level? What box. level of finish that he, did he do prior to the Acrylitex? He probably brought it up to just a nice level four, and the Acrylitex spray on level five was a spray on version of level five. That's what you could achieve with this. But you do two things: not only were you giving the whole wall the same porosity, which is the definition of level five. Okay. When the painter came in, didn't matter what color they picked, one coat and done, because since it was acrylic. And there was no migration of the paint into the face paper or the joint compound. Uh, it sat right on top of that acrylic. It, it When he painted it, it was beautiful. We put it in our house in Pennsylvania, and I sprayed the whole thing, and I left the ceilings alone and just painted the walls. 
the walls were just Acrylitex smooth wall. It was in light, nice off-white color. And they were, when we sold our house, those ceilings were probably 12, 13 years old. They still looked like new. My wife, if they got a mark on them, my wife would take some 409 and wipe it, and it would come off perfect and look brand yeah. new again. The stuff strong. was like bulletproof. Yeah, strong too. Yeah. <clears throat> that so sounds pretty cool. we did this cool. house, and it cost the builder nothing. I did it free, donated the product. And he splits on the floor in front of Myron. I'm just like, what an asshole. Totally. You know? Were you pre were you pre uh repping the Acrylitex product? Grabber was the master distributor for Acrylitex products for a number of years. When I worked at Grabber, I was I was sort of the new product guy. And I since I was the only guy that had actually worked with the products, they they say, What do you think of this? I say, Well, let me play with it for a while. Yeah. I say, Yeah, yeah. I think this one has some legs. And a guy named Joe Beatty, Joe and Dorothea Beatty from Portland, Oregon, came up with, they had Quick Prep, which is a better primer than USG First Coat. They had a Vapor Prime, which you could prime your walls, and it'd give you a perm of 0.1 something. So you'd actually have a vapor barrier on the inside of your wall. Then they came out with this Spray-On Smooth Wall product, which was a Spray-On Level 5. And then they had what was called the Paint Texture System, which was a two-coat system you You'd spray the base coat, and it would be the color you wanted. It had the color right in it. And then yeah. you'd follow it up with uh, a Kodiak machine, which was basically the spray guts that would be on a truck sprayer. And they invented it for guys that were working in the outback in Alaska. It looked like a big hopper with, a, with an upside-down volcano on top that you'd put the mud in. So it had one of those augers that was probably this long. Because this stuff was so thick, you couldn't pour it out of a bucket. You'd have to scoop it out. And you'd spray it with a great big compressor hook to it. And you could do orange peel, knockdown, whatever. My sister, or Heidi, has an apartment building in Shatter, Nebraska, where college kids live. I think there's 16 or 18 units in there. We sprayed that thing probably 15 years ago. It's never been repainted. Having college kids live right. in there. It's like iron. My sister, when a kid would move out, she'd go in with some 409 and wipe all the walls down. And she goes, still looks brand new, Kev. For 15 years of college, kids having parties in this apartment building. It's the original paint texture, <clears> the <throat> stuff. So they sold it for like hotels. You know, when you go in a hotel yeah. and they have hotels, hospitality. And we did a free house for uh, a big builder in Pennsylvania and said, hey, you could save a lot of time and money. Put this in there once and done and we did a free house for them and they're like yeah that's cool but i don't know you know this whole looky-loo thing was just frustrating but yeah that's Chris so weird the yard out here um in bozeman still has the acrylitex products in it he can still get quick prep and he can still get smooth wall they still yeah. they still got the same palette that's been sitting there for 20 years <laughs> no you gotta move the stock because <laughs> the biggest issue we found was the stuff Cannot freeze. If it freezes, it turns to cottage cheese. So it okay. has to be kept in a heated building. And so when you're in Montana, how many drywall yards have a heated room? So you're limited on how much you can bring in because it can't freeze. Okay. That's the only thing. It cannot freeze. That's the challenge that the plaster guys are having shipping that yep. product around during the winter. Yep. Very interesting. Um, and, you know, it's like, why... So other people have been vetting ideas to thwart paint and texture for a long time, but like they always go back to that paint and texture. Why do you think that is? 
or paint smooth finish. Doesn't matter. It's the same shit. One's smooth, one's textured. You know, um, they just they have not they have not cracked the code yet. I think it's because there's a lot of guys that are shitty finishers. That's why. So when I learned to finish was in Shadron, Nebraska. All the walls were orange peel. It just depended on how how big the orange peel was going to be. Okay. Yeah. And the ceilings were either crow's foot stomp, a swirl, or it would be it would be our everybody's favorite cottage cheese right on your ceiling. Yeah. And then they they come out and they want glitter in it. All right. So I I I told you I had to relearn when I moved to the East Coast in the eighties. Thought it was a good finisher. I wasn't. Because when somebody's spraying texture over drywall, you can get away with murder. You move to the East Coast where everything's smooth, you can't get away with anything. I had to relearn to finish when I moved east. Right. So I think maybe there's a lot of guys that like putting, you know, two coats over their over their flats, two coats over their bead, and a couple coats over their fasteners and spray the shit out of it with texture. Because it looks pretty good textured. It takes a damn good finisher to make it look smooth because you're misusing that drywall every time you make it smooth. If you look at the original patent for drywall, going back to the beginning, it was a substrate to be taped and finished in preparation for texture. It's right in the patent. It was made to be textured over. So every time you use it smooth, you're misusing what the product was originally designed to do. They knew it would never look like plaster. Plaster's not smooth. Plaster's uniformly ununiform. You follow what I'm saying? If you looked at yeah. a plaster wall, it's not perfect. <clears throat> I call but it. Uh, I call it imperfect. same with same with fresco. I call it irregular smooth or imperfect. There you, go. you know, it has undulations. So you're a four by twelve sheet of something that's flat as a plate. Okay, and if you look at the face paper close enough, it looks like little tic tac boards. There's a texture in the paper. Okay, now you put mud over that. And you sand it, and you got lines going this way. Those lines don't match up with the lines on the face paper. They're going like this, right? Like a checkerboard. So that's why people go to level five. They want the same porosity and the same texture on the wall so it accepts paint at the same rate. Yeah. Otherwise, that yeah. seam's always going to show because it's not the same exact texture as the face paper on the drywall. See, and then even without knowing, my angle was like, well, the drywall guys don't want to use a different product too. They get they get hung up on that too. They use the mud, and these dudes will use the same mud. Their mud is the best, whether it's Certainteed or USG or whatever, BDX. You have BDX up there, I think, Hamilton. There's a couple different types of mud. But man, you get drywall guys are locked into that mud. And it's like, oh, here, try this like bucket of a hundred dollar you know, acrylic, they cut they they get, you know, and it's a different medium and it's a different viscosity and it's a different, uh, you know, you got, you can't let it freeze and things like that. They get real gun shy of that. Right. Um, in residential in commercial. Yeah. Like those, the commercial architects are looking for durable products that solve the problem of, uh, of getting scratched and patchability. Right. right. You have to have patchability too, but I think that's where that's where Fresco Harmony can have legs is because you're just using the same mud. The color's just an additive. Just I think you have a, <clears throat> an easier fight than a lot of guys because you're not changing the product; you're adding something to a product. Right. Currently. And, and it, Chris, the first time you used it last week, he says, "Dad, this is easy." 
Yeah. I mean, if you could pull a trowel, this is easy because it's not hard. So he's it's funny that well, it's funny that board. you didn't believe me, but you believe him. <laughs> my son. I've had a whole lot of guys piss in my ear and tell me it's raining. I, I don't believe anything unless it's fed. You gotta realize I've had you. things like I told you, it's easy. curl attacks. And bike we had for years over no coat. I'm serious. You go on a job with a stick of no coat, guys would want to fight you. Joking. Yeah. Some jobs where guys told me to get the F off their job and never come back with that piece of shit. Crazy. It was a fight. Now everybody knows what no code is. Not everybody uses it, but at least everybody knows it. But for the first two or three years, I mean, you'd have to have your bulletproof vest on to go on these job sites. They now, were no code. Explain to me no code. So the difference between no code is kind of like, does it come in a roll or does it come in a stick? It comes both. So the first no code product I used was called Ultraflex. Okay. It was probably four inches wide, maybe a little wider. The first okay. stuff was as wide as a toilet paper roll. The first stuff was like six inches wide. There were iterations okay. of it. Okay. It was one okay. product. It was called Ultraflex. And you could, it had a hinge in the middle. So you could bend it to an outside corner and inside. And any degree thereafter. Okay. So okay. I found out we were doing a lot of houses that have off angles on the insides. And they're always crooked. Yeah. And you'd have to work real hard to make them straight. Yeah. This stuff, when you bent it to an inside corner, it was impossible to get that inside apex to go crooked. It right. would find its own straightness. So you could, I could now make off angles laser straight. Yeah. And the stuff was like $70 a box for hundred. Like feet. vaulted, vaulted ceilings, especially. Yes. Like, yes. You stand and look at that vault and it was like an arrow. Yeah. So I started using this stuff in the roll. Okay. Then they came out with a locked 90 degree stick. Okay. And I told you about the first job I used it on with all those soffits. It, the stuff was like $140 or $50 a box and metal was 30. Who would use it? But on that first job with all those suspended ceilings and the track right there, once it was installed, I'd have to coat it. But then I really liked the fact that you could beat on it with a ball bat and it wouldn't crack. When we would do shows, I had this demo booth and guys, the, the drywall the, the logo for No Coat was a little tough guy that looked like Dennis the Menace with a ball bat over his shoulder called Noop. Okay. okay. If you could find one of those old original shirts, they were cool. There were a the whole generation of these Nuke shirts, and they weren't politically correct, and they were awesome. Okay. All right? So guys would come up at a show and say, hit that with a ball bat. And I'd say, come back Sunday right before we tear down. I'm not doing it now. So we, I think I was in Baltimore and I didn't have a ball bat, but I had one of those fiberglass extendo poles that has the aluminum center. Yeah. So these guys all show up at five o'clock on a Sunday. He said, okay, let's, let's hit this thing. I wasn't thinking and I almost killed someone. So last time I did it, I took this, it was like a six foot long extendo hand, fiberglass handle <laughs> with the aluminum insert. And I took a Sammy Sosa swing at this corner and it shattered the fiberglass, and this aluminum sensor acted like a missile and flew up the aisle about 100 feet. Oh, man. It would have been somebody in that aisle. It would have killed them, and it scared the <laughs> hell out of me. They looked at the demo booth and said, wow, no cracks and dents. Cool, and walked away. And my asshole's puckered so tight I can barely move because I thought I almost killed somebody. I never <laughs> did again. You could go, and you could feed on these. With a ball bat, and they wouldn't break, they wouldn't crack, and I'm like, okay, if I have to do patchwork 
on Sundays and now I don't have to fix drywall, you know, cracks and corner beads. It's worth the money to me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I started using <laughs> it because the thing will not crack. So what's the difference between the no coat? I've asked you this before, no coat and like Trimtex. Are they just basically competing products? I used Trimtex for a long time and I liked them. But when we were using Trimtex, we were installing them with spray glue. Okay. okay. Yeah. And that spray glue has like a 1.2 second tack time. So if you didn't have that thing on perfect the first time. Okay. It was on there crooked. And I struggled with it for a while. I would, I like trim text, but I think metal corner beads should be outlawed, especially right. clench on metal corner bead. Right. Clench on corner bead is as thin as like a Wrigley's gum wrapper. I mean, if you're not careful, pull them out of the box, they dent. Yeah. So you're putting these things on, you've got glides that are just clenching them on. They're not taping them. They're not fastening them. And they're putting two coats of plus three over them. You breathe on them on the way by and they crack. Right. And I still don't get why so many guys use metal corner bead. It's, so antiquated. Trim yeah. text is better. No coach better. 50 yeah. products that are better than metal corner bead. Okay. And metal corner bead probably still has a lion's share of the business because guys don't like change, I guess. Yeah, Joe talks about it. You know, he's like, you know, the metal, the metal uh, guys and all that stuff. It's a it's an interesting sort of debate. And there, you know, there's listeners out there that are still using metal, you know, metal corner bead. It's Prevalent down here, that's for sure. People are still using metal in and they sell the crap out of it. what they've always used. It's what they're going to use till they die. They don't care if there's a better product. Yeah, I always used to, I like tape on. I like tape on corner bead. <laughs> Think about it. When you're taking joint mud, joint mud, taping mud is a glue. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you use it to hold tape on and it does, so it's an adhesive. Yeah. So you're taking a corner that's got joint tape on the back. Well, I'm talking about no coat. It's got joint tape on the back of it with a paper flap on the edge. Yep. And you're putting taping mud on the back and you're putting it on the drywall. When that dries, that whole wall becomes a monolithic, unbroken piece of drywall because that's glued onto both sides. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not going to come off. And it's and full. It enough, like it's full up. It's hard enough to cut it or dent it. It's not going to crack the sides because it's glued on the wall. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm thinking, well, geez, metal, it's always floating on there. Yeah. Always. And even if a house settles a tiny bit, you get that hairline crack and it's going to come back every year. They used it in Crested Butte. When I worked over there, we had Big Dave was the corner beat guy. You know, the, we'd all finished together. They were all great guys. Those guys hung. We helped finish. They finished too. Big Dave would always be the corner guy. You know, he'd walk around with this pneumatic, like, <clears throat> but we would uh, fiber tape and quick set the corner bead there. So, you you have to, in my opinion, if you're you going to use metal corner bead and you're not at least taping it and coating first coat with, with, with quick set, you're wasting your time. But now with if your time, with, with your time and money involved in, fiber taping and quick setting the base coat of the of the corner bead now well now you're back to the same price of a more expensive corner bead you know yeah but here's the next step we haven't even talked about i used to run my boxes down the no coat do you know how fast it is to box your corner bead and they come out like glass so now you have a yep. corner <laughs> yep because there's no and you're using bead. you're using less mud too because you don't here's have that big thing. profile give you a little lesson no coat's not corner bead. Take a piece of metal and look at it at the end profile. It's got a bead on the end and it's made to stick up. So it takes mud to finish it, right? So it takes a lot of mud. 
That's why a lot of times when they put the baseboard on, you get that gap, you got to cough because it's sticking out. No coat's completely flat. So when you run a box or knife over it, it's only taking a small amount of mud from where that tapers to the wall. I used to run my eight inch boxes over yep. and they come out like, like glass. Yeah. You can't do that with metal corner bead. It'll eat your blades off your box. Right. There's dudes that are doing corner bead with boxes. I've seen it, you know. But you know how much mud it takes also to, to box metal corner bead? You could do numerous corner bead with one box full of mud. Right. Right. Yeah. It would just burn it all up. Those base coats. I remember in Crested Butte, you almost had to mix like two buckets and 90 you know yep. for, for an hour and you just burn yeah. through burn through it you know and it's like so that's, you're saving time that's 20 bucks that's two sticks so you're saving time on the install you're saving time on the coating and it's a better product that's not going to crack you tell me the downside you'd be devils at why why isn't everybody using it yeah well, i can't figure it out now i don't have a dog in the fight i don't work for grabber anymore <laughs> i don't work i'm not getting paid I'm just talking as an old drywall dog who did a lot of metal corner beading in my life, and I was pretty yeah. fast to coat it. And I saw no coat going, this stuff's way better and easier. It's just another chapter in the adventure of drywall that is Kevin Bush. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining me again, Kevin. Uh, you know, these things happen. Uh, I had a, I've, I've had a couple episodes. You know, I have one with Corey where I didn't hit record. You need an assistant. I know. You need an Aubrey. See, you need an Aubrey just watching I know. your back all the time. I know. She's there, isn't she? She's like, she's she's, she's got your back. She's not going to come on camera, though. She's not no. going to come on camera. She's like, no. F that, dude. That guy got me on camera once. Well, her he dog, blew it. Her dog got really hurt yesterday. We've had a really bad winter in Montana, and there's ice everywhere. And she's got a dog that's older. And it was outside and a neighbor had some dogs chasing it. So she picked up this dog and it must have got scared and it went over her shoulder and fell on the ice. Oh no. And, and her dog is real. So I dropped her off some CBD oil for her dog to take today to help with his there pain. She's got a hurt puppy today. That sucks. Um Kevin Bush, a Pearl of Wisdom. You want to fire off a uh, Pearl sure. of Wisdom for this episode? So I'm going to take a different track today on the right. heels of the Michael's way and sick kids and all up okay. until Justin got sick. I worked like seven days a week. And when I wasn't working, I'd hang with my buddies and do stuff, you know, and I didn't see a lot of him for the first three years he was alive. And when he got sick, I made a deal with God. Okay. That if you don't take my son, I'm going to spend more time with my family. And I think, you know, me by now, if I say something, I mean it. So when he got better, I didn't go to the Eagles games anymore. I didn't go out with my buddies. I spent time with my family. I think that work, you should work enough that you can support your family in a good way. But yeah. nobody ever laid on their deathbed and said, I wish I would have done one more house this month. Spend some more time with your kids and your wife. He who dies with the most good memories of his family wins. So there you go. I like that. That's a uh, fantastic advice for me right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like at the end of the day, that's all we have, you know, this um, morning on my ride to Heidi, I sent you some pictures as I'm pulling in her driveway and the Bridger mountains are back there covered with snow and the sun's hitting them. And I took a picture and said, this is what I'm looking at. I actually stopped and took a picture, stop and smell the roses, enjoy your family, enjoy your surroundings, try and be a good person. 
I love it. Thank you so much. That is michaelsway.com if you want to donate to the cause, help out families uh, with kids that are struggling. And also uh, Walls and Ceilings Magazine Adventures in Drywall. We are going to pick new adventures for the next time Kevin comes on the show. But until then, man, uh, I hope you have a good day. And hopefully this records. If not, we'll get to do it again. I'll I'll pick different topics next time. Yeah, burn those notes. Next time's all new. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Talk to you soon. Hey, buddy. Bye. Special thanks to Kevin Bush for joining us on the Drywall Podcast today. I really enjoyed the conversation and I appreciate your time. The Drywall Podcast can be listened to on your favorite platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and also YouTube. Join us every Friday for a new episode. Shout out to Can-Am Tools for sponsoring the Drywall Podcast throughout the months of March and April. Can-Am Tools, industry-leading tools that help professionals around the world save time and money. Now you have the opportunity to get your hands on these amazing tools at a discount. If you go to canamtools.com, and enter promo code TDP15. The Drywall Podcast was also brought to you by Fresco Harmony, making walls better since 2004. Now available online at csrbuilding.com. Guests of the Drywall Podcast will receive a swag bucket care of csr as well so shout out to them for that thank you so much for joining the drywall podcast today i sincerely appreciate it i hope you have a fantastic rest of your day and remember keep drywalling